The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week we strive to be a resource for inspiration and motivation and information to help you start or build your own real estate investing business. This is Question and Answer Week on Real Life Real Estate. It's... uh, seems like we just had Q&A week last week, but really it's been four weeks ago because, you know, February only has four weeks in it. And uh, so we're looking for your questions. Anything you want to know about how does this work? How do you find deals? How do you screen tenants? How do you whatever, whatever you think is important to your real estate career right now. Give us a call at 877-772-9658. That's 877- 772-9658. Alternatively, you can go to our website at realliferealestate.com. Uh, fill in the uh, form there that says ask a question and hit the send button and it'll come here via email. That's realliferealestate.com. Um, just make sure you do that fairly soon because there is some delay with the email and sometimes people send a question at 545 and it doesn't actually come to me until after we are off the air. So a better way to do it is 877-772-9658. Now that is uh, that ask that um, realliferealestate.com is actually a place where you can um, ask questions anytime. And, you know, if you suddenly are, wake up in the middle of the night and say, wow, I need to know this, you can, you can go there, you can put in your question, and we will get to it. Uh, we will get to it probably at question and answer week, but that way you don't have to worry about waiting until question and answer week. Uh, some folks that uh, have done that ahead of time um, include Michael, who says... Please clarify what constitutes a war zone. How much drug activity will you accept in an area before you write it off as a war zone? How much violence? How much police activity? Um, all right. So, Michael, the the let me let me fill in people who maybe do not know what war zone is slang for because that's sort of um, real estate investor jargon. Uh, and it references a neighborhood where uh, high number board ups, another high, high number of not just vacant properties but abandoned properties, 
and also a high level of criminal activity. And the reason the reason it is called a war zone is because of the visual that uh, the police have sort of um, abdicated the ruling of the neighborhood to the criminals. So uh, it's uh, the 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 less jargony way to put it is we we talk about neighborhoods as being type one through type five, where five is like a luxury gated, very expensive, you know, top 10 percent of all house prices in the area kind of neighborhood. And a war zone is is same thing, except at the bottom end. Um, There's because it is kind of jargon, it's just kind of a a way of, of speaking about neighborhood types there's no accepted definition that says well if there's more than x number of robberies in that neighborhood in a week then it is a war zone it has as much to do with the economic um opportunities in that for for you as a real estate investor as anything else what you need to be looking at is if i buy a property in this area and I renovate it reasonably and manage it reasonably. Is it going to is it going to reward me in terms of profit in a way that is uh, that balances the the management risk, the intensity of that, and so on? And typically in a war zone the answer is no for most real estate investors that's that's the key thing right there is that most real estate investors no matter how high their their tolerance for management is uh do not find that war zones are economically rewarding because many times the properties there are very very old they require a lot of renovation dollar wise i mean it takes just as much money to put a roof on a property that's going to end up being worth $25,000 as it does to put a roof on a property that is worth $2.5 million. Well, that roof might be a little bigger, but $250,000. And so many times like the rehab costs are greater than the value of the properties. And the reason the value of the properties are low is because there is a low renter base that can consistently can and will consistently pay rent. I mean, t- typically, part of the definition of a war zone is that it's pl- a place where people with Section 8 vouchers don't live. Because you, if you have a Section 8 voucher, it'll, it'll pay for, you know, X dollars worth of rent, depending on your family size. And why would you live in a place where the police don't come when you call them if you have a voucher that allows you to live in a nicer neighborhood than that? So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a complicated um, evaluation and 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 there's again no definition, but you say you're saying how much how much drug activity will you accept in an area before you write it off as a war zone, and the answer is that's even if I had a number like that even if I said well um, no more than one out of three people can be addicted to something, uh, that would be me that wouldn't be you. You need to sort of. You know, talk to talk to people. If you're if you're a wholesaler, talk to people who are actually buying properties in your area and ask them what neighborhoods they do and do not like to buy in. You don't have to say war zone or luxury area or anything else. Just say well, what areas do you like to buy in. And if it's you that's buying the property, then you need to consider uh, what are your criteria for how much money do I need to make for doing how much work or paying how much for a property. 
But I do very much appreciate your question, Michael. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. You can call in your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send them electronically by going to realliferealestate.com. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Um, I am always, as always, am your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and am um, sitting here ready to take your questions if you'd like to call them in. The number is 877-772-9658. I always feel like people are going to get lost in all those sevens. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. You can also go online and um, ask the question by uh, just uh, reaching out to realliferealestate.com. There's a box there that says ask a question. And uh, you can certainly um, ask it that way. But please, if you're doing that, let us know from where you are writing. So um, questions that have come in, because I don't see any brand new ones popping up just yet at realliferealestate.com. Questions that have come in over the last few weeks. Um, Question from Robert. He says, wow, this is a long one. Um, I had an excellent time at a conference a few years ago, bought a program, went to work, uh, was motive, uh, was motivated by the, uh, instructor whose course I bought that he would help me do deals. I found a deal and the minute I told my mentor about it, he instantly offered to buy it from me for a bird dog fee. <laughs> I was confused because I didn't pay thousands of dollars for this course to become a bird dog. I wanted his help finding and analyzing it and financing it since he offered this help with his investors before I was in shock. Uh, long story short, uh, lost the deal. Um, really upset and suspicious of this mentor. How can I protect my deals in the future? Apparently the mentor may have gone back after this guy's contract expired. This fellow Robert's contract expired and bought the deal out from under him. You know what, Robert? I really hate to hear stories like this. But unfortunately, I hear them fairly commonly. That folks think that they are signing up for like an education and a and a a mentoring relationship where i'm going to go find my own deal and then you are going to walk me through it and then i am going to make the money on it because i already paid you to show me how to do it and walk me through it so why would i pay you by giving you my deal or giving you half my deal or just being a bird dog on a deal that i found and this is shockingly common in the real estate investing world. And you say, how do you protect yourself against your mentor? The answer should be you should not have to. 
should it should not be the case that you know like if the mentor were to say hey that's a really good deal i'll fund that for you or hey that's a really good deal if you want to partner on it i'd be willing to bring the money but if you don't want to partner on it here's how you do it anyway that that's that's a different situation than what i think you're describing here which is oh that's a really good deal here take five thousand dollars or five hundred dollars and let me have it and you just should not have to you should not have to watch your back with your own mentor which is why i have problems with mentoring programs that are a lot not you know not not all of them not trying to paint them all with the same brush but these mentoring programs that are along the lines of you pay me this and then you pay me x percent of your next you know years worth of deals or three deals or whatever the case may be because i think it clouds the relationship are you meant my are you my are you my mentor are you my educator are you my partner are you you know what's what's your role supposed to be in this what's my role supposed to be in this i think it's much clearer when it's just what i think you think you bought into which is i'm going to show you how to do it and you'll you'll go do it and i'll help and you'll get to keep the money because i already got paid so um you mentioned a non-disclosure agreement uh i think what you're really looking for the the term you're really looking for there is a non-compete agreement and that might have helped you it might have helped you to if you had known that this person was going to do this it might have helped you to do a a non-circumvent with them to say i'm not telling you about this deal unless you say that you are not going to contact the owner go after the deal in any way etc but you had no way of knowing that you needed such a thing so try not to beat yourself up too bad about this because it's really not your fault this is just not the way things are supposed to work and of course i'm you know i don't i don't really understand exactly what happened because i only see your your lengthy but not (laughs) that lengthy email about what happened and i'm you know always hesitant to to say you know definitely it must have been this way because i don't know the mentor might have another story but you know whatever i'm sorry it happened to you um shouldn't have happened to you a non-circumvent when you're dealing with somebody that you don't know if you can trust them uh should keep them from going around your back on it now do people circumvent non-circumvent agreements i'm sure they do but it would have it would have been a better step than what you had uh, so you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means any question that you have uh, is, you know, let's do it. 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email through the uh, Real Life Real Estate website. Go to realliferealestate.com and uh, just... Uh, Send your question through that way. Got a question here from Kim saying, what do you think of rental properties that only have one bathroom? I'm looking at several that are three bedroom, one bath with an agent. It's a nice neighborhood. Um, I think it really depends on on, on what you're competing against, Kim. I know most of my three bedroom rentals only have one bathroom. And that's because of the age of the houses that I buy. I don't buy houses that were built after 1990. It's just, I mean, not that I wouldn't. I just don't see a lot of really good deals in that, in that, in terms of rentals in that um, age range. But uh, a lot of a lot of properties built in the, you know, early 1900s, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, were one bedroom, 
Uh, one bathroom, I mean. I mean, I've got I've got some houses in some of the older neighborhoods in Cincinnati that are five bedrooms, one bath. But so is everything else. So it's not it's not like I've got the only one bath house, and therefore I'm a, I'm in a disadvantage in terms of trying to uh, rent that house. So I think you got to look around it, and it's really easy. Go to Craigslist and see what other three bedroom houses have, and if they're all one bath, you know, or most of them are one bath, or a lot of them are one bath. Uh, that tells you what you need to know about whether or not you uh, have a potentially good deal or you ought to offer less because you're going to get less rent. So thank you very much for your email, Kim. Um, uh, uh, you, you just, sorry, Mike just looked panicked. I, <laughs> you all can't see him. But he was he was carefully bent over his records, and all of a sudden it looked like someone had bitten him, and he jumped up. So I thought something <laughs> something was going on, but I was wrong. But let me go on and on about it on live radio. Question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or uh, Real Life Real Estate dot com. Uh, I have a question here from Mark, who is in the greater Cincinnati area and Mark would like to know uh, whether or not it is legal to pay someone else to connect you with private money. So in other words, um, I need a private money loan for $100,000 to buy and fix a house. And um, I know that Mike here uh, has a rich, rich uncle. And so I say to Mike, hey, can you ask your, can you give me a meeting with your rich uncle? Can you set us up? Can you maybe talk to him for me? And if you do that, I will give you X dollars. And the answer, Mark, largely is no. And it's not, it's not so much that... It's illegal for you to pay him as that it's illegal for him to take the money. Uh, The only kinds of people who are allowed to accept money for fundraising in that sense, and, you know, I'm I'm raising money for investment for somebody else, uh, they generally have to have some sort of of a securities license. And um, it's just not, it's just not something that, most people who do have security licenses are interested in doing because you know how much can they make off of your hundred thousand dollar loan? That's not what they, that's not what they like to sell. So it's not a, not a good idea to offer people money for um, for that sort of thing. And you also mention attorneys, and I understand what the thought process is there. Attorneys might know people who just inherited some money or people who just came into some money in some other way or something like that. Um, attorneys don't have security licenses and generally can't get paid for, can't get paid for, for getting, can't get paid, paid by somebody else for getting their client to do something if you follow. So like, like, uh, uh, you can't, you can't tell an attorney, um, Hey, if you send me all of your probate properties, I'll give you $500 for each one because the the client is the probate. The client is the, the estate. It's not you. So that's generally kind of problematic. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, it's question and answer week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, after which we will go back to the phones at 877-772-9658. And also back to your online questions if you go to realliferealestate.com.
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. 877-772-9658 is our number here in the studio with any questions you have this week about real estate investing. You know, it's often the case that people will uh, will sit around and, and have, you know, they read a course, they in, in a deal, something's going on, and they say, wow, I... I don't understand this. I wish I wish I could ask a question. Well, fourth Wednesday of the month is your chance to do that. And that is today. And you can also uh, do this online by using our response form at realliferealestate.com. Uh, let's go to line one and talk to Brian in Cincinnati. Brian, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Brian, can you hear me? Sounds like the line's open, but I don't hear Brian. Uh, um, Mike's going to run out and see if there is some break between the, some switch, some switch between the front and us here. And he ran right back in. The switch might, must be right outside. Uh, let's see. Brian, uh, Brian, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. There you are. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what's your question? Yeah, so uh, as a new investor wanting to do rehabs and not spend a lot of time marketing, I would want to buy from a wholesaler. But my concern is that I don't have a lot of experience in these repairs, so how would I know that when they're saying it's going to cost this much to do these repairs, how can I be confident that they're not trying to, you know, pull one over on me that, you know, without saying, hey, can we wait while I get a, a contractor in here to or you know give me a bid you know one possibility is one possibility is they're trying to pull one over on you one possibility is they also do not know there's, right <laughs> there's also there's all sorts of bad possibilities here right okay so here's the thing um one way or another y- you have got to learn to sort of do these things yourself to some extent because there are, there are going to be situations, whether or not a wholesaler is involved in it, where you, you just have to be able to kind of go through and make a relatively quick decision on things. So there's, just, there's just literally not time to bring in inspectors, contractors, all of that sort of stuff. But until that date happens, do not be silly. Don't do a deal where you cannot bring in a home inspector, a contractor, whoever you feel necessary, because you... you you're just going to roll the dice and hope you're not buying a pig in a, a pig in a poke. Most most wholesalers, okay. If you're being if you're being seriously pressured, if you're being pressured to the extent that it's like, um, I'm not going to work with you if you try and get an inspection. There's probably something mm-hmm. wrong, right? Because 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 the whole the wholesalers the wholesalers job is to get the property sold and that's how they're going to get paid so why would they just be totally like I'm not going to let you you got to buy right now or I'm never working with you again most wholesalers yeah, I, go ahead I was going to say I've gotten them saying oh well there's other people that are lined up so you know if you have to take that time you know it could be gone by that time well, could could be so what would you yeah. would you ra- would you rather would you rather risk Losing a deal or losing your butt on a deal, because those are those are the two things that you're yeah. <laughs> that you're weighing here. And and no, I'm I mean I totally if I'm if I'm wholesaling a property and and you come and you say, well I like it, but I really need to get somebody in here. I'm absolutely going to tell you. Just just be warned, it's not sold. 
until, you know, it's not, we're not, you can do whatever you need to do, but nobody's committing to sell to you until you have paid for the deal, right? So I'm I'm going to continue, because I don't, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't know that you're not going to drag your feet trying to get a, get your brother-in-law to come in and look at it and he doesn't know what he's doing and I'm just going to end up tying it up for weeks and nothing's going to happen because you, you know because I didn't do my job because you didn't do yours I'm just trying to I'm trying to give you some sense of the reality of <laughs> the relationship between wholesalers and their mm-hmm. clients um, realistically if you can get somebody in within 24 to 48 hours the chances that somebody else is going to take the deal probably not huge and I would much okay. ra- I would much rather see you do what you need to do, because also part of part of your learning process, where where you get to the point where you're so confident that you can walk through the property and go either yeah this looks good or nope <laughs> you're crazy, is is going to be getting these, getting in with your contractors right and hearing hearing what they have to say, that's part of how yeah. you learn, and and you're absolutely right not to be believing the person who's trying to sell you something. You don't you don't depend on the numbers of the person who's trying to sell you something that's that's crazy. You always you always get your own numbers. Uh, so um, just you know, t- take a deep breath. Realize that there are hundreds of wholesale deals out there. Honestly, most of them you should not touch with a ten foot pole. I mean, some some of them some of them are some well some some of them because the numbers are not right. Some of them because they're you want to retail properties and they're not just not in retail neighborhoods. They're not in neighborhoods where you could fix the house up and resell it. It would be a rental if you fixed it up. And you need you need at this stage to be not pressured and and doing what you need to do. Okay. Now I will I will add one other thing, and that is I recently told a wholesaler just the opposite of what I told you. The wholesaler called and said, "Well, I've got this buyer, and he wants to do inspections." And I said, well, that's fine, but he doesn't, I mean, he's got to pay for them and he doesn't get to have the property under contract while that's happening. He just, you know, he's got to do his inspections and then he, you know, make his decision. And he said, oh, he wants to get a lead paint inspection. And I said to the wholesaler, does your contract with the seller allow for a lead paint inspection? And the wholesaler said, no. And I said, then this guy can't get one for the safety of the seller because because this, this house was built in like 1910 and it it's going to have lead paint right it's there just all, no question if it doesn't have if, if it was never painted with lead paint which would be weird it's still going to have lead in it because there's lead in the soil and people walk through houses right there's it's going it's going to turn up positive for lead and once there is this actual knowledge that there's lead all the rules about how you have to treat the rehab change, and I said it's not it's it's not fair to the seller that you said there will not be a lead inspection. And now this guy wants to come in and do a lead inspection. Did you tell him it's going to have lead in it? And the whole seller said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, then if he's still so scared of it, I mean, he knows he 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 doesn't have like actual legal knowledge, but he knows just because the house was built in 1910. Then I don't know that this is a buyer that you can really." you can really deal with he almost sounds like you know too timid i i get it that you want to see if the sewer drains and the it has termites and the air conditioning works and the plumbing's there and all that kind of stuff but at, at some point you are obligating the seller to some legal stuff that he didn't agree to get obligated to 
because once once he has actual knowledge that there's lead, he has to disclose that to every future buyer. So that yeah. is, that is that is the one thing, Brian. That if you said, "Well, I want to buy your house, but I need to get an inspection," I'd say, "Okay, but yeah, you you know, you you are risking getting an inspection on a house that you're not going to end up with because somebody else shows up first. And if you were okay with that, but then said, "Oh, but I also want to get a lead inspection," um, I'm not I'm not sure we would have much conversation after that. And I and I hope you follow why. It's not that. I yeah, yeah. It's not that I care whether you care about lead. <laughs> it's that it's that I don't want to I don't want to stick somebody else with something that you know, I that that remember as a wholesaler what I'm doing is I'm assigning you my contract and my contract doesn't allow for an inspe- a lead inspection. So there's no there's no, you you don't really have, you know, I've waived it. You're trying to step into my shoes. You don't really have a legal right to that anyway, right? So anyway, uh stop letting people tell you that you've got to sign right away get your inspections if you if it does come true that it takes you 48 hours and somebody else gets the deal so what don't sit around and kick yourself okay don't sit around and kick yourself and say well see I'm, i obviously walked away from a good deal because it wouldn't have sold to somebody else if it wasn't a good deal nope that other person might have gotten pressured into buying a deal they shouldn't have bought Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Keep keep doing what you're doing, Brian. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. You can call in as Brian just did. The number is 877-772-9658. 877-772-9658. We also have an online forum where you can ask a question on our website at realliferealestate.com realliferealestate.com. You know what? I'm going to go over there and I'm going to check on something that I said was there last week that turned out not to be there and see if it's there now. And in the meantime, why don't you go there and ask a question while I'm typing in this long, long URL that I just realized we should probably shorten up because it took me that long to type it in. Um, okay, so yeah, if you go to Real Life Real Estate, the other neat thing that's there is an archive of all of our programs. And when I say all, I mean like hundreds of them. Uh, the, the the little thing at the top was not working last week, and it is working now. You can go back and look back four or five shows just on the very front page there, or you can uh, click the archive button and go and see just so, so, so many uh, shows going back uh, several years, so it's a it's a good place to hang out there on realliferealestate.com. dot uh, com. Again, eight seven 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 two nine six five eight is the number, or go to our website realliferealestate.com. dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Um, I was just about to say. We haven't gotten an email from Tom from Northern Kentucky. Because Tom from Northern Kentucky, it doesn't matter who the guest is, doesn't matter what week it is, he pretty much always sends emails. And guess what? I just got an email from Tom from Northern Kentucky. I, I was wondering about that. Um, the question is, po- it says postcards at all. He says, uh, do you 
hand address postcards like you do with letters. So these are these are these are going to be marketing slash um, you know lead generation questions. Uh, and I let's see. So everybody's heard, and if they haven't heard, they can go back in the Real Life Real Estate archives at realliferealestate.com and listen to Kathy Kennebrook, who was on September 2014, I want to say. August, September, somewhere in through there. And she talks a lot about things like um, how to get, how to make sure that if you're going to bar, if you're going to bother to send out mail, that it actually gets opened and read. And uh, talks about, as do a lot of folks, that ideally, if you're sending out a letter, it should be hand addressed. Because people, people open hand address letters to a much greater extent than they do. Um, ink jetted, labeled, and particularly bulk envelopes, right? Postcards, a lot of people will say th- those should also be hand addressed. I can tell you that I have tested hand addressed postcards versus, um, now, now be, let me be clear here, th- that your choices are hand addressed versus ink jetted. So, so label, we're not talking about labeled here, we're talking about either somebody wrote the address on it or it went through a printer and the address was put onto it directly out of the postcard. And there was a small difference in the response rate, but it was so small that it didn't, it wasn't significant. It was, it was um, the time and potentially money if you're having somebody else do it that was saved by ink jetting it more than made up for the very small difference in response rate. So, I'm not as not nearly as married to hand addressing postcards as I am hand addressing uh, envelopes. Um, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I just you just reminded me of a of a postcard I received yesterday from a real estate investor that said, "Urgent notice about your property. We desperately need to speak to you about the transfer of ownership of your property." And I hope I, I, I hope that that sound I vaguely hear is every real estate investor on the planet who actually knows anything laughing because that is so it is so aggressive and insulting and unlikely to work and misleading, misleading, right? Because it implies that like this is some government entity or something and there's going to be a change of ownership. And in addition to that, in addition to the really just offensive wording uh it was sent out bulk mail i mean it was it was so obviously a piece of junk mail right it was like it was like oh so you need to talk to me do you me and apparently everybody else in the world because you've sent this out bulk um labels were not so 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 handwritten versus ink jetted not that big a difference labels do make a big difference and if you start ink jetting it but also not using a real stamp that's going to make a big difference in your response rate the second question is i understand inbound calls how do you handle outbound calls you are catching them off guard now i'm i'm going to have to make a little bit of an assumption here about what you mean by outbound calls you are catching them off guard and I'm going to say you're talking about calling sellers. And I'm going to a- ask you the question, why would you think that any seller whose phone number you had would be caught off guard by you calling them 
and asking them about their house because the only sellers whose phone numbers you're going to have are sellers who are advertising that their house is for sale. I got a I got a similar question to this last week when I was in New Jersey. Somebody said, Do, "What's more effective, mailing mailing people in pre foreclosure or calling them?" And I said, "How are you going to call them?" And they said, "Oh, well, I can look." And then they realized that you can't just look up people's phone numbers anymore. Twenty years ago. 90% of people, 85% of people had a listing in the phone book, right? And you could just look them up. Now, most people don't even have a home phone. We all have cell phones. And unless you happen to stumble across that number by Googling the name or something, and then it happens to be correct, you're not going to get people's phone numbers. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a question of how am I going to cold call people that I think might be potential sellers? Because the only way you would have their number is if they had an ad in Craigslist or, you know, any any of the other many, many um, similar uh, house listing type sites. So generally, if my office is making an out an outbound call, it would be because they... Uh, the person who was being called had an ad someplace and was saying, I want to, you know, sell my house. So it wouldn't be, wouldn't be that, wouldn't that be that big a deal to them? Uh, 877-772-9658 is the phone number to call here in the studio. We got uh, about five, six minutes left. Uh, if anybody has any last minute questions, alternatively, you can send us an email uh, just go to uh, realliferealestate.com, fill it in there. Uh, question, oh, this is not a question. This is from Danny uh, via our website, and he says, please send me the goals video. Uh, okay, um, that, was a, that was a video that we offered uh, a month ago, maybe, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually about goals. It was a presentation that I had done at a real estate association, and it's actually up on YouTube. If you uh, if you will go to um, YouTube and then just Google my name, uh, you'll see it up there. So it's easily accessible, no charge, blah, 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 et cetera. Uh, okay, so um, other questions from the email. Um, this is a question from Anna in Georgia. Anna says... Uh, there's something that I do not understand about the trash flow evaluation. Well, here's another thing I'm going to have to explain. Um, it's when I when I do the trash flow calculation, generally the number that I can pay comes out much lower than when I do the after repaired value calculation, and I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Okay, so let me explain what uh, what Anna is referencing uh, when you are trying to evaluate a rental property, particularly in an area where there aren't a lot of what we call after-repaired condition sales. There, there aren't a lot of arm's-length transactions. There aren't a lot of non-distressed sales. So it seems like every comparable you look at is either, a, it was a bank-owned property, it was a, a sheriff sale, it was something that gives you no reason to believe that... Um, the house was in after repair condition, which is what we're looking for. It is possible to circle in on a value 
by using a rental formula that usually involves um, taking the projected rent and subtracting the taxes and the insurance and the vacancy and maintenance uh, fees and then uh, subtracting a cash flow that you find adequate and backing the number that's left into a loan. And we sort of call that, you know, the trash flow analysis because it's only used on properties that there are no comps. So Anna, the first part of your, I mean, the first, the first answer to your question is if you have good comps, you shouldn't be using the trash flow analysis. You should be using the more common, you know, after repaired value times 0.7 minus repair costs formula to decide what to pay. If you are coming up, if you have, so if, you, so if you're trying to use the trash flow analysis and you are also using the comp analysis and the trash flow analysis coming out way lower, you, you know what that tells you is that people are, people who are buying properties in that neighborhood are buying them at lower returns than the number you put in for the trash flow analysis. You put in some number that an important part of this is how much money do you want to make every month? And you entered that number. That was you. And other people are paying prices that are higher than that and thus must not be getting them that return that you are looking for. So if you can get the property at the price that the trash flow analysis states, then you will get that return that you're looking for. But you may not be able to get a house in that neighborhood at that return for the simple reason that other people are paying more. And I've seen that. Uh, There's certain kind of hot neighborhoods, hot rental neighborhoods, if you can, if you believe it, hot rental neighborhoods in the uh, Cincinnati area that when I look at what people are paying for the houses there, and then I back out the, you know, here's what the rent's going to be, here's the taxes, here's the insurance, here's what it's going to cost to um, maintain that, and here's what this person must be making. I say, wow, I see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't own a property in that neighborhood in order to make that little bit of money. So. Uh, that may be what you're running across, but uh, generally, if there are comps, that's how you base your your price, especially if you're looking to wholesale a property, not on the trash flow analysis. Okay, a question from Jane, who does not say where she is from. Uh, she says, oh my gosh, um, she bought a property at a foreclosure sale, and the prior owner is still living there. And the property is not yet in her possession. It's still awaiting a decision from the sheriff. But she's wondering how to deal with the prior owner because their goal is to fix it up and resell it. And yeah, um, here's the thing, Jane. Uh, You really need to consult with a, you don't say where you're from, and you need to consult with a local attorney about that because owners who have gone through a foreclosure and are still living in the property may have different rights where you live than where I live. Generally, the process is going to be 
you need to evict them. Okay. I mean, so you can certainly, once you get possession of the house, you can go over and knock on the door and say, Hey, sorry about this, but I'm the one who bought your house. What's your plan? Uh, you can try and do a cash for keys deal. <laughs> In other words, say, if you could be out of here by a weekend after next, I will be sitting here with a moving truck and there will be $500 at your new house for you. And that's often very effective. But if they dig in and say, nope, I've been living here without paying for nine months and I'm just going to keep on writing it out, then you're going to generally need to evict them. The question is, how much notice do you have to give them? Because strictly speaking, they're not tenants. You do not have a lease with them. They don't they don't owe you any money. So usually you can't do the quicker evictions. It's usually at least a 30-day notice often has to encompass an entire month. So if you were to give the notice on the 15th of July, it would have to take effect on the 1st of September. This is all stuff you need to talk to a local attorney about the rights of a person who has lost their property to foreclosure, but is still living there. Thank you for your question and thanks everybody. For your questions tonight on Real Life Real Estate Investing, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.